0: hey guys welcome and thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of let's be blunt with Mattel. you know uh, i've been doing this podcast now for almost a year and a half and you know we've got well over a, a couple hundred episodes now and um you know one of the most asked questions that i get from people outside of the podcast is that, you know, thank you so much for say thank you so much for all the information that you give us, you know, during the podcast, especially about, you know, how to navigate a dispensary if I get there. But you know, I've always wondered, how can I trust the product that I'm getting? And I say to them, well make sure it has a, a valid COA, you know, and uh make sure that, you know, the product has been tested. I mean, that's the one thing you have to make sure it's been tested. And then people come back and say, well, how can I you know, guarantee that when they say they've tested it, it's really, truly tested. I said, well, you know, most states are requiring testing now, though there are a few that have not made that mandatory yet. We're working hard to make sure that that gets changed in every state across the country. But most of the states have adopted and most of the facilities or testing uh, companies have adopted some standards that my guests today really are the people who are responsible for those standards. So let's ask those questions to them. My guest today, have a background in cannabis and the cannabis industry spanning over 15 years and covering everything from regulatory compliance to research and development to product testing. In 2010, they opened Science of Cannabis Labs in Capitola, California. And develop the industry's first testing standards. These guidelines are now being widely adopted by cannabis community, regulators, and governments, and many organizations all over the country. They're here to discuss some of the industry's pros and cons, and what consumers should know when choosing a cannabis product. Jeff Gray, Josh Wurzer, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, sir, gentlemen.
1: Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank
0: absolutely. You. Absolutely. you were both working in the cannabis industry way back before it was vogue when it was really difficult back then to navigate, you know, the the, the landscape and way more difficult than it is today. How did you get both get involved in cannabis and to begin with? Let, let's start with you, Jeff. How did you get in, get involved in cannabis?
1: Man, you know, I've been in I've been in cannabis since um since right out of high school, really. You know, I I live in a space where um, cannabis in some sense has been um, uh, decriminalized with, within the city. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in a place called Sa- Santa Cruz, California. And the cannabis industry, I mean, you know, we talk about the industry. Sometimes we frame it within like the movement to the industry. And, you know, we were there early on in in, in the movement. I'm 50 years old now. And, you know, that gives me 30 plus years in, in that. Um, I've participated at a lot of different levels of like the cultivator um, you know, I, I would do, uh, consulting, I worked with early dispensaries and, you know, I think one of the things is I, I came into this, uh, sector of the, of the industry basically because I, I sat down with my partner and, and two of my other partners over, over a beer one night and they blew my mind about what, um, you know, what was possible, what, 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 what I was missing, having been in cannabis for 20 plus years, um, you know, I didn't there's so many things I didn't understand that there's such a science to this. And um, yeah, we've been, you know, uh, testing, uh, you know,
0: running a laboratory ever since. Wow. And how about you, Josh, what did you, what was your introduction to cannabis?
2: Yeah. So um, I'm I'm from Wisconsin originally, so we did not have the um, same kind of, you know, uh, atmosphere for, for cannabis is existed out in California, but I was always a, a fan of the plant. Um, I was always, you know, sort of science-minded and I always thought, you know, cannabis had a lot more potential than sort of, you know, a lot of the other, you know, kind of recreational drugs that that I saw around me, um, some legal, some illegal. And so when I moved out to California after graduating from college, I I graduated with a chemistry degree. Um, I it, it was, you know, both kind of to 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 begin my career, but also to to you know, kind of pursue the cannabis industry on the side. And so um I was working in sort of um Mainstream chem- chemistry jobs in the pharmaceutical industry and in the electronic materials industry, and um, but always had to grow on the side living out here. And so, um, kind of on a lark, one day I took a, a job interview um, just because I I've been kind of looking at mm-hmm. looking at new jobs and 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 uh, saw an advertisement for a for a lab director. And the very end it said must be w- comfortable working with medical marijuana and, and nothing you know nothing like we have now existed back then. And so I I just took the fill filled my resume, sent it in because I wanted to go see what they're up to. Um, and that ended up being the first cannabis testing lab, you know, anywhere that would test for the medical marijuana industry. So I was a lab director there and I ended up getting a job, um, said, okay, well, I'll take the job. Um, not happy where I'm at right now. I'll, I'll keep looking for something else. Obviously, I'll never put this on my resume because it's career suicide. And, uh, um, you know, a year later, I, I was really digging it. And and that's, you know, when I thought, you know, hey, this this is a great idea, but I think um, the cannabis industry needs something that's a little bit, you know, closer to what I see in the food testing industry. I see in the environmental testing industry. And I, I think, you know, we could do a better job. Um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of where, where Jeff came in and, and I pitched the idea to him. And, and, you know, we had a couple other partners that came in on it. And, and so we started SC Labs and that was, you know, 12 years ago today. And, and, and you know, my, my angle, you know, sort of from the beginning, you know, Jeff had an economics degree and he's much more business minded than me. So he ran the business side of things and I, I ran the laboratory side of things. And you know, 12 years later, here we are.
0: Well, let's go back, though, 12 years ago. I mean, the industry kind of looked a little bit sideways at you guys that were claiming to, or back then, telling people that you had the ability to test a product. There was a lot of anxiety in the industry about that, was there, not? Huh?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, like, even, even today, there's an evolving set of uh, set of standards, both safety and quality uh in terms of cannabis and i think you know early days uh you know the standards are are, are most basically a set of agreements um there are two main drivers normally and you know they're industry drivers and they're regulatory drivers and so um and in the best instances they work together so you know um early
0: on back in the beginning they weren't working together i can remember you know like you guys have been in this business for 15 years i've been in this business now for close to 20 um, as a matter of fact, uh, I was one of the first people that, that kind of jumped outside and went public back in 2001 uh, about my cannabis use, which was met with, you know, just pushback from everybody and their mother. And um, but I also remember back then trying to start a business around cannabis and started producing products and getting them tested and you would send them out. And I guarantee you, you got it back three different test results from three different laboratories, which was really kind of crazy. I mean, I, I couldn't understand why we're doing this scientifically, why we didn't get the same numbers. I, I would look at three COAs and the numbers would be skewer, skewed, you know. So um, your processes have seemed to jump to the fore now. Most people are following your standards. Back then, though, I mean, and and even nowadays, I mean, there are several states that don't have really consistent testing within the States. And so how did you convince the early subscribers back in California that your standards were better than others? Well,
2: well, so, so, you know, that, that's, you know, that, that's a loaded question. So, so yeah, back then it was sort of the wild west, you know, none of the laboratories had any type of regulatory requirements on them. None of them, um, you know, were, were accredited to, you know, any, any type of standards. So it was sort of, you know, you, you were sort of at the mercy of, of, of whichever lab you chose to work with, whether or not they had, 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 you know, kind of the scientific rigor to, to really give accurate results. And there were a lot of really good labs that started out right away. Um, you know, we, we certainly weren't the only ones that, that were, were trying to do it right. Um, but then there were a lot of labs that were just, you know, sort of marketing vehicles for, for different dispensaries and were just giving people numbers they wanted, but really early on, you know, and, and back then it was still the medical program. So we were looking at, you know, we were looking at kind of everything is as, as medicine and, you know, our, our, our our mindset was, you know, what what good does, you know, what good is telling people what they want to hear do us? I mean, you know, all we have is, is sort of, you know, we give people numbers on a piece of paper and if we don't have some sort of scientific rigor behind those numbers, you know, that, what do we have then as a business? And so, you know, early on, we, we kind of committed to, um you know, to doing things the right way and, and you know, to developing and validating methods, you know, you know, properly. And, and I think, um we, we also had some really early industry backers like weed maps that that you know kind of put their support behind us. And and so I, I think, yeah, early on before regulations came in and before there were any requirements in the labs, um, you know, we 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 tried to hold ourselves up as, as sort of um, you know, the you know, the the lab that was doing things the right way. And I and I think we did. Um and, and we were certainly the first lab to offer a lot of tests, like you know, a true pesticide test. We were the first lab to do residual solvent and 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 um, residual chemical testing and, and concentrates so um you know we sort of kind of see we, we sort of evolved with the industry in california having been around so long i mean like you said you know 20 years you've been in it we, we've been in it you know you know as individuals much longer than than 12 years but we, we've been in it since 2010 so um you know in, in the cannabis industry that's a lifetime and so we, we've seen it kind of evolve and now you have you know states that are requiring it they, they do look into the laboratories they do require us to have accreditations and they're still you know the, the lab testing industry still isn't perfect, but it's certainly evolved and come a long ways. But, yeah, the early days, it, it was tough. And it was sort of, um, you know, were you going to work with laboratories that, that were doing it the right way or were you going to go searching for laboratories that give you the numbers you
0: want? Right. And, and along the way, I mean, this, this industry has definitely grown up and, and, and evolved. I mean, very, in the very beginning, you were testing for what? And then now what are you testing for? Well, well, I mean, early on, the first the first tests we were doing
2: were, were cannabinoids. And so, um, you know it makes sense those are the active ingredients in cannabis, THC, CBD, CBN. Um, you know, and early on, it was just those three. We couldn't even get analytical standards for any of the other cannabinoids. And over the years, that's 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 evolved as um, you know, as different you know uh, standards makers where we're getting standard analytical standards that we could test and as we sort of added things to that test. But um, you know, and and, and and if anything, early on, maybe the one disservice the cannabis industry has done to the cannabis plant in general is that, you know, it became early on. Well, since you're only testing for cannabinoids, um, you know, a higher cannabinoid, the higher the THC, the better the cannabis. And that, that just definitely isn't the, isn't the case, right? And so, um, but then over the years, we started testing for terpenes, which are sort of the aromatic and flavor compounds in cannabis. And then, um, and then we started testing for contaminants like pesticides, residual solvents, heavy metals, things of that nature.
1: And a lot of that I mean back to the you know, earlier question, so much of that was informed by our experience with cannabis and our partnerships with people in the industry who are always sort of the good actors right i mean there were there were people in the industry driving you know dispensaries um you know uh, uh advocates for patient groups who were driving access it wasn't just access safe access it was safe access to safe medicine right and so I think there's um I think for those people who are truly in cannabis. So for an example, like the early pesticide tests we did, we had been cultivators. We knew a lot of cultivators. We were testing for those things that people were using is those sort of agreements where you say, well, you know, this test, this, this test holds water versus, you know, uh, uh, testing for things that people aren't using and everybody passes. Right. Which was some of the, you know, again, it's back to uh, an evolving set of standards and, and, those standards being informed by actual practice.
0: Gotcha. Well, what are some of the main concerns that you're seeing now, and what you're testing? I mean, I know you test for pesticides, moles, heavy metals, but what are some of the other things that you're concerned about right now in product?
1: that You share? Well, it, you know, it's, it's it's interesting. So we 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 do a lot of cannabis testing. We do a lot of hemp testing. And you know, uh, yeah, what you know, you've been you've been in this for a long time, right? X amount of years ago, they're the same thing, right? It's type one, type two, type three cannabis. And so what's interesting though, is the application of uh, a totally different set of standards to cannabis than hemp. So hemp is all over the place. A lot of states don't have anything in place. They can cross state lines, right? I mean, people are looking for federal guidance and federal guidance is slow in every instance with anything to do with cannabis. Um, But with cannabis, what you're seeing is you're also seeing a, a difference in particular states and You know, sometimes that that it 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 affects people's belief that what you're testing for really is a safe product. It's 106 pesticides on a hemp panel in Colorado. It's 40 something in 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 Oregon. It's 60 something in California. Why are certain pesticides not? You know, why would certain pesticides not put people at risk in 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 California that they would in Colorado? Right. So obviously there's 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 still work to do, but, you know, we see, you know, I, I think one of the, one of the most interesting things is not, I think, you know, cannabis that you see in dispensaries is some of the safest product that you put in or on your body. And the reason I say that is because the, 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 the standards that are in place in the state of California, specific to cannabis, um, I mean, I'd walk into a, a, an organic grocery store and fail most everything in the shelf, right? According to those standards where they're so low and they're so hard to meet. Um, and I think it's because, you know, it's for a number of reasons. It's it's for consumer protection, but there's also a little bit of a bias. We have to do everything twice as good because we were, you know, we were that illicit market for so long. Um, and so, you know, I, I actually think from a safety concern, I think actually cannabis is an incredibly safe product within the supply chain of the of the, of the regulated market. Now, you know, I, I think the biggest problem we're seeing is the sort of manipulation of of quality standards around you know, uh, uh, cannabinoids and terpenes, because truly if you want to get down to it, we're talking about dosage and right. cannabis is being sold as if THC equates to price. THC doesn't even equate to quality, right? I mean, truly it's dosage, but there it's such a complicated product that what we've done is we've sort of oversimplified that to the point that it's almost like ever clear is the best alcohol ever made because it's the most potent, which isn't the truth. Right It's the same thing for cannabis, so we've got this beautiful product that has so much value in 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 can be so specific to people's ailments to even to recreational users. But you know that oversimplification, I think that's probably the biggest issue that I see in the application of the results that we give out,
0: and I also find it interesting that you know though the results go like I, I actually have a product that's in the marketplace in Boston or in the Massachusetts area, and the state of Massachusetts requires like our vape pen, our oil has to be tested once it's completely produced. Then once it's put into the cart, it has to be tested again. Mm-hmm. Make sure that it's not leaching out any you know, metals or anything from the, from the particular cart that you're using. So, you know, and every state seems to have their own rules. When, when do you think we're going to come up with some sort of a master plan for all states that have legal cannabis?
2: I think we're working in that direction. Certainly for us, it's definitely, Manny, we have, we have someone, you know, kind of spending pretty much a, almost full-time job, um, just tracking different regulations in states and trying to keep up to date. Like Jeff mentioned, you know, we're, we're testing hemp in all 50 states. So we, you know, we have to test to a different standard depending on, you know, where this hemp is going to be sold and where it's being produced. Um, and in, in cannabis is the same way, obviously in cannabis, we can't cross state lines. Um, with with the, the high THC cannabis, so so you know we, we don't necessarily aren't have to be as concerned with the state by state cannabis regulations in states where we don't operate. But um, I think you're, you're starting to see that coalesce. I think each state that comes online sort of builds on what came previously, and uh, you know then a lot of them want to add you know their one or two little 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 extras to to the regulations just to make things difficult. But we we're seeing some of the state regulators start to get together. Um, you know, at least have a dialogue on, on kind of what makes sense. Cannabis, like like Jeff said, is such a hard product to regulate because there's nothing kind of that you can draw an exact corollary to. You know, it's 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 you know, you could look at food, but food isn't generally inhaled. So a lot of the the, the contaminants or, or toxins that can be found in food, um, you know, don't necessarily apply one to one with cannabis because um, they enter your body differently. They have a different risk profile because they're inhaled rather than consumed. You could look at cigarettes, but cigarettes are, are, you know, kind of grossly underregulated, and in sort of, you know, most jurisdictions take take the kind of stance, and certainly the federal government takes a stance that um, you're already kind of taking a, a health risk by consuming cigarettes anyways. So um, a lot of the contaminants that are found on, on, on cigarettes aren't, you know, aren't, aren't regulated like they are with cannabis. Um, yeah, I
0: find that really kind of crazy that they won't go back now and say to cigarette manufacturers, you know, you need to have a COA, a tag attached to the outside of your cigarette pack. I mean, people should know what it is they're putting in their body.
2: Certainly, certainly. And then, in like, and then, like Jeff said, like food, um, even organic food. You know, about three percent of the organic food is, you know, actually even inspected per year, um, and, and and much less is tested. And then there's allowances for pesticides due to drift and things like that. So, um, so yeah, so there, there's just every kind of regulator that's trying to tackle this cannabis problem is sort of starting from scratch. And, and they're doing it state by state, whereas normally the feds would jump in and sort of give states direction, and, and they have much more resources to establish quality and purity guidelines. Um, and, 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 and normally that wouldn't be handled, you know, as, you know, at, at that level by the states, you know, certainly we can look at alcohol, which is regulated state by state or even county by county, but the quality and purity standards for for alcohol is is um, is, is overseen by the federal government, and so um, we're starting to see some kind of movement on the federal government. the The United States Pharmacopeia Convention, which sets um, kind of quality and purity guidelines for a lot of nutraceuticals and in and drug products, um, and which you know their standards sort of become become the the the, the federal standard. Then at that point, um, is starting to look at cannabis. Um, I, I actually am on a working group with the USP. We published a monograph for cannabis. Um, last year, it, it wasn't able to be published in, in the, the standard pharmacopoeia, um, but but it, you know we we published it in in a, in a journal in, in preparation for you know when politics when when the politics allow for it to be published in the national standard. Now we're working on CBD and hemp products, so I think. Um, you know, hemp might lead the way in this regard, but but the FDA isn't even is even weighing in on hemp either. So, I
0: think- and, and hemp, and a lot of people don't understand. You know, that they've been using hemp over in Chernobyl for the last twenty years to help leach some of the radioactive uh, materials up out of the soil. And the cannabis plant is the exact same plant when it comes to its ability to leach things out of soil. So, I mean, do do you think that we should be setting higher standards for hemp? than cannabis it's weird but you know
2: well we should be setting standards for hemp you know so right now that in 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 hemp is sort of hemp is the exact same thing as cannabis hemp is just cannabis that produces more cbd and less thc whereas you know the 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 kind of standard drug type cannabis that we've been consuming for years tends to tends to be high in thc but there's also plenty of cannabis that's high in cbd that would be considered hemp in the medical market but the problem is is in all these states that are allowing medical marijuana or, or cannabis high thc cannabis um they're they're very strictly regulating it but then a lot of these states the same states are kind of allowing hemp products to kind of um just just enter the market wholly unregulated so so it's also creating this sort of um you know kind of barrier entry for for people who want to produce high thc cannabis that doesn't have to be met by by the hemp producers and so that's a big issue too but i think i agree with you i think hemp should be regulated at least to the level that that high thc cannabis is and um and, and certainly then also with hemp, we have sort of all of these people producing um, psychoactive substances from the CBD and hemp and sort of getting around um, the the requirements for high THC cannabis by taking CBD and, and and basically performing chemical reactions on it to make you know different forms of THC that can get you high.
0: Um, I don't know if the- that's going to last much longer. I, I just think that, that that's probably one of the things that this industry needs to police itself over. Um, and there's a lot of things that we do wrong, you know, they, we, we, we spend a lot of time you know, casting aspersions at the federal government or local state governments, and then we still sit down and allow our compadres in this business to run amok. I mean, I I really believe that, you know, the production of uh, uh, THC-8 and THCO is just waiting for the Fed to have an excuse to come in and slap you upside your head.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: and some of the chemicals that are used, I guess, is for THCO. Aren't some of the chemicals that are used for that... are they are they testing that product the same way that they would test a high THC product or a, a CBD product? Are they really testing those things? Not yeah. at all. Not yeah, not,
1: I mean, like Josh said, there's not really because there's no federal standard. You know, you can be, uh, you know, so there's the setting of the standard, and then there's the enforcing the standard. So right, and that's a whole that's a whole different thing. But in terms of setting a standard, I mean, these can be produced anywhere and shipped anywhere, right, across state lines, and like you know, it's, it's, it's a workaround. So there's no, you know, a lot of these are, you know, uh, wholly untested being distributed in spaces that aren't um, again, it's, it's, it reminds me, you know, early on in, in cannabis, there were, there were people who were testing uh, uh, testing to whatever standard, the highest standard they could find. Right. Uh, there, are, there are currently, uh, you know, national distributors. Uh, Whole Foods is carrying CBD products and the panel that they test their products to is a national comprehensive standard that meets the criteria for every all fifty states or all forty six states that they're that they're distributed in right so there are definitely those people pushing the envelope and then there are those like you're you're talking about that always right it always seems to like draw the focus of 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 the federal government or for those people who want to call us out for 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 not being um for not being the industry that we truly are which is progressive which is uh compassionate which is enlightened like you know it's 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 a really it's a really, you know, interesting space. Uh, I, you know, I'm not, definitely I'm not, my, my feeling is, you know, enforcement has been probably more destructive than the lack of standards. So you have that balance. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, consumers, patients, whoever, whomever need the information they need access to.
0: What do you think the consumers should be most aware of when they're choosing a cannabis product? You did say, I mean, that, that you think that the products that are in most dispensaries or at least tested to a standard that I think most consumers could feel comfortable with,
1: correct? In, in California, yeah. California's panel is significant. Um, certain States, I believe Washington is only doing, you know, cannabinoids and microbiology. There's a lot left to, you know, there's a lot left there, or at least they were at some point and then they could be progressing. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, um, I think, yeah, at least there's some traceability. There's a chain of custody. And there is, you know, there's there's more accountability than in the in, in that system than there is outside of that system.
0: But you just hit it. I mean, we have what 37 states in the District of Columbia now that have a legal uh cannabis program with THC, and then we have you know 46 states that allow for CBD. I mean, what should and and my podcast is viewed by people all over the world. So Just if you had to suggest something that somebody would say, look, you know, when you look at your COA, make sure that it has a COA. Some products don't even come with that.
2: Yeah, and I think I think so. So, and like I kind of alluded to earlier, um, and Jeff was talking about as well, is is you know you don't choose wine by the alcohol content, you know, and and that's the analogy that gets used all the time. But THC is not the quality indicator of cannabis, um, especially for inhalable cannabis. For, for edible products, yeah, you want to have an accurate dosage. That's what I'm looking for is a COA from a reputable lab so I, I can get an accurate dosage on an edible product because once I eat it, it's kind of too late to, 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 to take less, right? Um, and, and it takes a while for, for, you know, orally consumed cannabis to 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 kick in. So, um, you know, if you consume too much, you're, you're sort of in for a bad experience potentially. Yes. But with, with inhalable cannabis, it, it's 100% the terpenes and not the cannabinoids um, because, you know it, whether my my cannabis has 10% THC or 30% THC, I'm exhaling like 90 some percent of that THC anyways. So I can hold it in a little bit longer if I want to get a little bit stronger of effect. But what I'm what I'm going for as a as a connoisseur of cannabis, I'm going for that flavor. I'm going for maybe that unique effect that one um, variety or strain of cannabis gives me over the other. And, and what I'm looking for there is, is the terpene content, the overall terpene content to tell me how much of a flavor it's going to have. And then the specific terpenes and the terpenes are the aromatic compounds that make up the essential oil of cannabis and make up the essential oil of, of most kind of fragrant plants, you know, like, um, flowers, you know, pine, pine scent is, is, you know, alpha pinene and beta pinene and, and, and some terpenylene is so, so there, there's, these different terpenes are, are, are created by many plants and they, and they give it, they give cannabis the flavor and aroma. And so, Um, That is what's making, you know, a a, a really tasty, flavorful cannabis um, tasty and flavorful is is the terpene content. And also the terpenes, many of them are bioactive in their own right. So there would give cannabis sort of the the, the kind of unique effects from one strain to another. For instance, um, I can, you know, I can consume a 15 percent THC strain and get really sleepy and kind of relaxed. And I can consume another 15 percent THC strain and, and sort of have more of a, you know, kind of an energetic um, high and, and, you know, kind of what people would say more inspiring. And a lot of times that just comes down to the myrcine content of the cannabis. Mersine is a, is a terpene and it's, 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 you know, relatively, um, potent sedative when inhaled. And so, um, strains that are, are predominantly, um, you know, high in in myrcine as for the terpene are, are, what are generally, you know, are are traditionally considered indica strains and they make you a little sleepier. And that's not the, the cannabinoids, that's that the myrcine that that's also in there. And then strains that lack myrcine um tend to to not have that sedative effect. And those are what we've traditionally called sativas. And so um, you know, I think really if, if people want to know the kind of the quality the, the quantitative quality indicator of cannabis, they should look at the terpene content and sort of, you know, ignore the the THC content.
0: Very I've been I've been producing I've been producing a product now for close to 15 years. I was what I think one of the first people to actually put together a product in a vape pen that was both THC CBD and a unique terpene profile for each variation of the product that I have have a product out right now. That's called, uh, you know, inspire in, uh, the, uh, the Massachusetts area. And I put it out under, um, select, uh, but it was by Montel. Um, and, and the product that I had out, I literally, I have five or six different terpene, formulations that I use depending on the time of the day and depending on the response that I'm trying to elicit from the product. So, um, and I've been doing this now for close to 15 years, long before people people thought I was crazy. And I kept saying, no guys, I'm telling you, it's just as important the terpene profile as the amount of THC." because if I can remember what, what always made me think that was that I can remember smoking cannabis back in 1971, 72, 73, and getting higher than I've ever been on some of the stuff that's considered you know, high THC content. Back then, the THC was probably no more than 11 or 12%. So wait a minute, how was I getting that kind of a euphoria on 11 or 12% when now it takes me to get that same kind of a feeling I think about? It, I think I have to be somewhere in the mid-20s with THC. And now that's stupid because I shouldn't have to consume that much or it shouldn't have to be that way. And a lot of those really good strains from back
2: then have gone away because they don't test high enough in THC, and no one wants to no one wants to produce right. them anymore. They can't sell them, but they they had a lot of value. They were very flavorful. They had really unique effects. But but they you know they they become extinct just because they don't test twenty five percent or higher in THC.
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't know that the um, we are responsible. We as a country are responsible for trying our best back in the sixties and early seventies to grow the CBD out of the plant which was really kind of ridiculous. And now all of a sudden everybody's jumping on a bandwagon, trying to grow it back into the bandwagon, right?
2: Yeah, and even cannabinoids too, as well as, you know, CBD. And then, you know, and so maybe I should have said that as well as maybe besides THC, another thing you could look at on a COA is does it have unique, you know, cannabinoids? Does it have a little bit of CBD in there to sort of potentiate that effect? Maybe it'll have CBC or CBG or some of these other cannabinoids that are also very interesting, both, you know, you know, both for, you know, kind of clinical purposes and just for, you know, even for recreational users.
0: Absolutely, but hey, now if you were to to do you, do you think that the way that the products are, oh, I guess the COA that appears on a box for the consumer, do you think that's friendly enough and easily understandable?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, I mean the short answer is no, right? I mean we 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 you know we've been for the twelve years that we've been in business, we've been trying to. Um, create, you know, uh, uh, not a certificate of analysis, but a way that people can understand the data that we're giving them. Right. You know, information is only valuable if people can comprehend what they're looking at. And right. so I think there's probably two sides to that. One is education, making sure that, you know, people become more edu- make more educated choices. And the other, which, is, I,
0: which I've got to tell you, I've said on this, this podcast for the last year and a half, and I'll say it over and over again, that's what we as an industry do, uh, the worst at, I believe, Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, we do a great job B2B. You know, you look at all the conventions that take place across the country, and at the end of the day, they are all B2B bullshit concert, uh, uh, conventions. You know, so there's there's a room full of vendors trying to hawk a brand new product, a brand new extraction technique, a brand new packet, a brand new box. But there's nobody there B2C in it, giving the information to the consumer to make the consumer feel more comfortable. I think until we start doing that, this industry is going to have a really hard time because the consumer, just like you know, the pharmaceutical industry, realized this 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That's why you see every time you turn on the television, you see a commercial for a new drug. Why? They are educating the public. So the public walks into the doctor's office and says, did you hear about this stuff here? And the doctor says, no, I never heard about that. And the next thing you is looking it up, and you get a kickback from the people and they they, they serve the drug. I'm not saying that that's what we need to trick our industry into, but we need to make our consumers intelligent enough and knowledgeable enough and informed enough so that when they go into a dispensary, they can make a good conscious decision or they can make a good conscious decision and just even walk in. I mean, you look at what the way they do it in Israel. I mean, you know, close to 14 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, Israel almost basically declared cannabis a geriatric drug and started educating senior citizens. at the day you turn age of 70, you can walk into any dispenser, or no, sorry, walk into any hospital in Israel and get a prescription filled or get a bag of cannabis handed over to you because they've recognized all of the other drugs that cannabis can replace for aging citizens. And so they provide that. And along with that, they provide brochures. There's easy. It's easier to get information and have a discussion about what's in cannabis there than it is here. But here, we don't even spend the time in most dispensaries. I mean, they're trying their best. You said it almost uh, yourself. They, when people walk in, they think that they're talking to somebody who's knowledgeable. Well, they're talking to some butt tender who's trying to sell them the highest THC thing they got on the block, which is no. really counterintuitive to what this industry needs to do to sustain itself. I, I could
1: I couldn't agree more. Absolutely, you know we, for the consumer, what we do is branding, not education, and and focusing on that education is incredibly important. You know we put a lot of energy into that um, because we also believe in the product, we believe in cannabis, believe in the industry. Um, you know I think one of the you know uh, uh, you know it, it's interesting to see other other industries that might draw parallels to like wine, for instance. For whatever reason, I have no background of wine. But I can, go into a, I can go into a restaurant and order off a wine menu. And I have a pretty good sense of what's what. And I think most people who smoke cannabis, much more than I drink wine, can walk, into a, can walk into a dispensary and all they can do is order based off a silly name or THC content.
0: And not knowing that the silly name may be the same name that they got in Southern California and Northern California, but it's not the same product. Absolutely. Grown by two different Absolutely. growers, and they just yep. stuck the name on a seed, and the seed, depending on how, you know, it's all about when you talk about wine or you talk about food, it's all about the hands. You know what I mean? I can go to one Italian restaurant and eat la- eat the uh, uh, lasagna and go to the one next door and have the best lasagna I've, had, I've ever had in my life. Why? It's the same product. It's noodles and sauce and some sort of meat maybe. Maybe it could be vegan, but it's the same constituents, but the hands that actually did it made the difference. And a lot of times I think consumers don't understand that, you know, I'm going to go get me some OG Kush here in San Francisco because uh, I really enjoyed OG Kush that I had in, in LA. Psh, it's a different product. could be different entirely. And then, you know, we take a look at what, what's going on now in the vape, you know, in, in the cart industry. And, and, you know, people just are trying their damnedest to put a higher isolate with more and more THC on top of another isolate to have more and more THC and not even recognizing that they're giving out stuff that just tastes terrible and doesn't have the secondary, you know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, terpenes have been around long before we started talking about cannabis. They, they, they test terpenes in olives. They test terpenes and tomatoes and, you know, myrcene is available. It's in mangoes. Is it the same? I would argue that, somewhere along the way, as we start to research even more, we're going to notice that the mercine in a mango isn't the exact same mercine that's in cannabis. That's my argument. I don't know. You could tell me I'm wrong, but you know, I think molecularly, I bet you that you'll find one O different somewhere along the way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, and then we also have, you know, people starting to put kind of these artificial flavors in, in these distillates as well, too, or not. Or, or I think people. that's
0: absolute. I think that should be banned, outlawed, excuse me, you know, the product that I'm producing in Massachusetts, we use complete hemp or cannabis terpenes. I do not believe that I should be smoking an orange. Sorry. Yep. And I don't believe I should be smoking a grape, you know, putting a grape in my lungs. So, and I don't want to do that to my my, the people who are following me. So, I made sure that, and this has been since day one. I kind of tried my best to demand from the very first day that I got in this business that any terpenes that will be used will be one hundred percent cannabis terpenes
2: or or even worse the 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 great flavor they put in bubble gum, you know, like, like I, in, in, in back to this kind of thing, a lot of things that people you know can 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 eat are not things that you can burn and then inhale into your lungs. It's very- yeah, I, I,
0: I agree that you know, I don't have an edible in the marketplace right now, but I do. I will have you know gummies back in the marketplace here pretty soon, but I don't have a problem with using food-based terpenes in edibles, some of which I think will prove over time to be more bioavailable that way than the cannabis ones. The cannabis ones. But then again, Hemp-based terpenes or cannabis-based terpenes have a bioavailability in an edible form. Anyway, if we go back to the late 1500s, early 1600s, you know, the majority of people on this planet consumed, not on the planet, but here in the United States and in Europe consumed a hemp seed-based porridge. Why? Because they recognized that hemp seeds had more higher level of protein than any other seed that they had come across. And so, you know, during those periods of time before you shot a deer on Monday and didn't get another deer until Thursday, Friday, you know, you were getting some protein on Tuesday, Wednesday, just by eating that hemp porridge. Sailors used to eat hemp porridge on the oceans. So we know that terpenes in hemp are bioavailable ingested, but I'm not necessarily sure, again, if that's the same thing.
2: Well, yeah. And, and so, so like all these terpenes, a lot of them, you know, and kind of not getting too deep in in the chemistry, but um, they have different places where it's sort of like a left hand and a right hand. And um, you know, it's, they're, they're both hands, but they're going to fit into different gloves. And that's how, that's how chemicals and then also our our receptors in our body work is that chemicals are, can be right-handed and left-handed and they can be right-handed and left-handed in many different places. And, And then your receptors in your body tend to, um, you know, depending on on what part of the chemical is binding to that receptor are like gloves, only the right-handed, only the right-handed molecule is going to fit in the right-handed glove. So cannabis is going to make, you know, these terpenes and different chemicals in a very specific shape or, you know, either right-handed or left-handed. And so if you take, you try and take a left-handed chemical that was either produced in a lab or maybe produced in some sort of other plant um, using some sort of other biosynthetic pathway, it's not going to fit the same way in your body's receptors is maybe that cannabis molecule is that is, you know, meant for the right-handed glove. If that makes sense. That's kind absolutely. Of but, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's how it works. Yeah.
0: Have you guys considered, you know, from your lab, putting out a book to educate the consumer on terpenes and on all the various constituent parts of the plant. Have you considered that? Cause I would say, so I think that would be well received, especially coming from a lab, you know,
1: actually we're, you know, one of the, one of the books we you know yes we considered something absolutely like that there's something called the emerald cup in um, northern california um they're putting together an almanac that uh, would include the um uh, would include a lot of the test results you know it's interesting we started testing for them they're actually our very first client even before we had a lab space we were testing uh we were testing the the, the products that were entered in the emerald cup and it used to be a very different type of format right i mean it was you know the, the, the OG growers coming out of the hills type of, type of deal with some land-raising, some really amazing variety of, of things. And what we saw over time is that, you know, the, it's one of the places where we've been able to see that among the judges, some, some, of, the, some of the greatest cannabis connoisseurs in the world are coming together, they're judging these, these, this context. And what's, what you're seeing is that there's really no difference in THC content between you know, those that win and those that lose, it's all terpene content. Right, and we, we we draw the draw that correlation statistically. And I think it's a really you know it's a, it's a it's a really insightful thing that we can see both. I mean that education needs to be there because we're obviously sort of there's some d learning that needs to happen, you know, as as well as some education. And so I think it's a um I think it's a great point. We've been educating. I mean, we do bud tender trainings. Right to your point, a lot of times the bud tender is seen almost as the Somalier in the space or as if they have some sort of an extensive background and most of the time the bud center may be sort of the the lowest paid least educated employee at that particular dispensary right unfortunately what that means is that they're giving you know they, they've sort of been bestowed this credibility that they, that they really shouldn't have it's right. not true in all cases but it's definitely true in some and and i think there you're right i mean education from us you know, it's been it's been something that we've uh, that we've pushed and promoted for a long time, really having nothing to do with, you know, the lab specifically, but being able, you know, uh, for consumers to be able to make better choice.
0: Well, I will bet you that, you know, that, I, if, in fact, the Emerald Cup was going to put out some sort of a, a almanac kind of thing. OK, but I would I would personally prefer to see it coming from your lab, not from the Emerald Cup. Because I think yeah. they're going to try to interpret something that they were told, and rather than have knowledge based in like you do, so I mean that should be something you guys ought to think about and consider. I bet you that it'll it'll be well received. I re- recently received the you know uh, something called the clinical application for cannabis and cannabinoids um, that Normal put out, uh, which is a a book that identifies you know a lot of the maladies that seem to be affected by cannabis, but also. In there has a you know bibliography page of you know, we know that there have been well over 35,000 peer reviewed study documents published in the last 10 years on cannabis, 3,500 of them in the last two years, more than any other drug on the planet researched. And you know, um, uh, at least that that uh, book from normal references some of those things, so you can go and look them up. But I mean, I think that the most important thing right now is trying to educate the consumer and make consumer understand that they have options and you know i think coming from a lab like yours would would uh, go a long way
2: yeah and, and we do have like you know white papers and, and blog posts and, and a lot of lot of information on at sclabs.com or website um and, and in that out
0: again say that again say that again
2: uh, sclabs.com Okay. So our, our websites, we have, you know, we have blog posts, we have white papers that we've put up there, we, you know, different kind of data insights we've gathered over the years. But you're right. You know, we've we've been doing this kind of as long as anyone else in the game, we've, we've I'm sure, tested more samples than anyone, any other lab out there. And, and certainly we've, we've, over the years, got really cool kind of data insights. We've helped customers solve kind of really interesting supply chain problems, sort of, you know, playing, you know, Sherlock Holmes, chasing back, you know, contaminants to, you know, odd and, and interesting, interesting, you know, kind of vectors. Um, and, and certainly, like Jeff said, early on, you know, and it kind of gets into what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, is you know, early on, when before there were any regulations to do any testing, we did a lot of consumer outreach, and we went directly to the, to the consumer because we realized that if we, we educated the consumer about testing and quality in their cannabis, they would come into their dispensaries, who are our primary customers at the time, and they would demand tested products. And so we did, you know, early on kind of go directly to the consumer with, with information and, and sort of as, as, you know, we've moved up the supply chain in, in our testing, we do very little testing at the retail level. Now it's almost all at the, you know, distributor and manufacturer levels. I, I think, you know, also a lot of the industry, including us have probably lost mm-hmm. sight, like you were saying, on, on talking to the consumer. Cause we're so, we're so concerned with trying to, trying to sell to, you know, to sell to, 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 the industry, um, our testing services that we forgot that, you know, the, the, the consumer is still really starving for information and cannabis is a very complex plant. It's not just a recreational drug. We compare it to, we're comparing it to wine and, and other products right now, but I, you know, I, I can't think of any other product that, that is used for kind of such a wide range of purposes, everything from, you know, childhood epilepsy to, you know, some, some, you know, some people that just want to, you know, have a good buzz on a Friday night. And so, and, in and, and, and all of that is valid and, and all of that is, is, is necessary. And like a lot of people say, all use is medical use. Um, but, but, uh, um, you know, I think I think the the consumer of cannabis is is still um, starving for information on, on such kind of a complex biodynamic plan.
0: That last comment you made about all these. I, I've been saying that for years also that even even what we consider recreational use of cannabis or adult use cannabis. I think most of those people are coming to the table. They've chosen cannabis over wine or over liquor because they've made a conscious decision that. They are trying to solve some sort of an issue that they have, whether it be they don't want to have the same hangover, whether it be they want to get sleep earlier, whether they want to be to sleep better, they want to reduce their anxiety when they come up from work. All those things are medical issues, not just recreational issues. And so I agree with you. What do you guys think that um, you know? Uh, if you had to pick one of the the biggest issues that this industry is still needs to address, what do you think it would be? Social equity, taxation right? Um,
1: I I put those I put those two together right at the top. Taxation in, in our industry is driving driving down business. Uh, well, it's also uh, driving business. up the business. market. Yeah, absolutely. And and social equity is still. I mean, you know, we have we have roots that go way back. We've seen the impact, and that's why you know again I, I mentioned earlier how you know you know it's a double edged sword. We talk about the the need for enforcement, but We've seen in you know the 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 type of enforcement and what it does and who is selected and who is who is close to the bullseye in that enforcement. And that's that's a scary prospect to me to to want to bring you know to want to bring that back or lean on that is something that's gonna progress the industry. So, you know, um yeah, definitely very <laughs> we got a lot of work to do, right? What did you guys say?
0: You put your crystal ball in front of you for a second. When when do you think that the uh, federally Laws will start to change when it comes to cannabis. I I think that as long as we have players in this industry doing silly ass shit like producing, you know, THC8 and O and trying to come up with the next O, I think that's going to keep pushing us out way further into the future because you literally give those who want a reason to hate a reason to hate.
2: Yeah, and you need any of the politics to, to to line up, but I agree with you. Um, you know, kind of all the funny business in the hemp industry is 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 you know, and, and the only reason it exists is because the high THC cannabis is still illegal on the federal level. So people are taking hemp and, and trying to get around you know get around those those laws and, and, and making all these products, you know, so that people can still get a buzz, but they're you know artificially produced. We don't know the risk profile the same way we know about you know the 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 cannabinoids that are actually produced by cannabis and so you know it's just i think it's just a time bomb waiting to happen and it's only exists because we're, we're still you know we still have prohibition on thc um but yeah i mean we just had you know that bill passed in the house which is exciting um yeah but- it
0: passed before in the house i gotta tell you something i'm not i'm just so i've got a lot of trepidation there but you know yeah. we did see something happen when it came to the next supreme court jurist which surprised me because i didn't think that we would get any Republicans to go the right way and do the right thing. They have, and they will, and she will be confirmed. Um, so maybe they'll surprise me when it comes to this bill.
2: And it doesn't seem like it's as partisan of an issue as some others. You do, you, you do have some Republicans that are fans, and you have some Democrats that are against. It. I mean, Joe Biden hasn't—you know—certainly hasn't signaled that. That he's any fan
0: of, of legalization either so joe is joe is a, a contrary to what i think has been the popular belief that he was going to do something remember they promised to do something in the first hundred days he and Kamala harris done didn't happen and you know most people won't look at her record itself there were more people incarcerated for minor cannabis crimes when right. she was the ag than anybody before her so you know and all this bullshit about i used once before but, Bullshit. So I call solid bullshit on that. So you know, the the, the we don't have friends in the White House. They just want to be friends when it's time to be reelected. I guarantee you. Again, you'll see them jump up and down on a bandwagon, just like whoever the Republican is running for office will jump up and down on a bandwagon, and say, "Yes, we're going to make some really good conscious moves forward." Shut the fuck off, you like saying them. You know, shut up because it's not going to happen. Uh, but yeah, and I think. You know, guys like you, if you continue to do what you're doing and that is trying to at least make this industry play by some standard, I think um, it'll help move the ball forward. No question. Anything else no, no I mean look we we got to continue
1: to believe uh, you know I think I think there's a i think theres what inspires me about being in the space of the last twelve years and and, and being a cannabis for most of my life is that there are people who truly believe. And the value of what we're doing, right? And, and not everybody has the benefit of, of working in an industry like that and contributing to an industry like that. So I'm incredibly thankful for that and hopeful, it makes me hopeful that right. at some point, I don't know, maybe maybe it's an age thing. <laughs> you know, maybe mm-hmm. at a certain point there are those people who you know were were you know were were brought up believing in the the that cannabis is something to be uh criminalized no longer hold office. Maybe that's what it is. But it's coming.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, one good thing is that, and I, I would say it's, you know, I'm a little older than, than both of you, uh, you know, it's the baby boomers. I mean, when you stop and you think about it, I mean, the baby boomers were the ones that were the tail end of the of the, the marijuana movement, the cannabis movement back in the, you know, um, late 60s, early 70s. We were the younger brothers and sisters of the hardcore users. And You know, in most states around the country, it's the baby boomers who have now ascended to that position of authority in their local legislatures that are starting to say, well, shit, I did cannabis under the bleachers when I was in high school and I didn't go to jail. So let's calm down a little bit now. But there are still some within that generation, my generation, that need to get out of here. So, you know, I think when we see this generation get out of positions of authority, It'll be the next generation that will say, why have we been so stupid?
2: Yeah. And, and the same baby boomers, too, are now starting to get to an age where they're experiencing aches and pains. They're getting kind of some of those issues where, where cannabis can be really helpful. And so All even the ones that weren't for it to start with, you know, I have, a, I have, you know, a lot of conservative family members back at home who, are, you know, I'm sure when I started doing this, were, you know, kind of, were kind of looking at me, you know, kind of sideways. But, but now, you know, they're asking me questions and they're engaged. And, you know, I, I see I see that changing in my own life and, and, and I can, you know, and I, and I see it, you know, sort of more broadly and, 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 you know, and also too, Montel people, people like you that came out early on and said, Hey, I, you know, I smoke cannabis and here's why. And, 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 you know, and, and spoke the truth and, and, you know, people in our industry, scientists that, you know, are legitimate scientists that are looking at the data and not the, you know, kind of the stigma. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's just, it's been a slow movement, but we're, we're, we're trending in the right direction.
0: I think we'll trend even more in that right direction. If we start educating the baby boomer, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I've been beating the, the drum stomping up and down. We need to do, you know, unfortunately people don't understand. Yeah. You know, I love my podcast. I love being able to work it, but there's not a lot of my, my age group watching podcasts, but you know, there are not a lot of them getting their information out of here. They're still getting their information off that television. And, you know, unfortunately, state laws prohibit certain discussions about cannabis, especially from a marketing standpoint, but there's no reason why we should not be spending our money educating. Documentaries are well worth, as long as they're educational, you don't send anybody to a store to buy something, you can can talk about cannabis, and we should be talking about it as much as we possibly can. This industry is so bent on trying to keep somebody else from making a buck more than they make that we're going to end up fighting ourselves into the next five years and not see any movement at the federal level. But you know, what I mean? I, I'm i going to try to stay optimistic guys. Look, I can't say thank you enough for you being a part of the show today. Give out your website again. If people want to get more information,
2: it's sclabs.com
0: sclabs.com. And you know, um, you always have a home here if you want to come back and kick it a little bit, especially, you know, I think, I've got a fairly uh, informed uh, viewership here at the Let's Be Blunt, and they really love to hear some of the scientific data. So I'd love to have you back again. We can chop it up a little bit more, okay? But, yeah. All right. We appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. For having I appreciate it. And thank you so much for what you guys are doing. Um, i gonna make sure that everybody knows that they need to make sure they tune in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.